I'm Stephen John Drew from the official GunnaGeek.com show, a weekly geek news podcast that is a part of the Gunna Geek Network, just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned, and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other awesome geeky shows at GunnaGeekNetwork.com. Hey everyone, and welcome back to The Crash Couch. It has been a while for us all, but finally the last season of The Expanse is upon us. It's weird to be saying that after all this time, but here we are. My name is Chris, as always, and joining me today, I have Joel and Derek. Joel and Derek, how are both of you doing? Uh, I'm fine. I'm having the time of my life. I went to, I quit my federal government job in Canada and I went back to school uh, doing a PhD and I'm studying space law. Yeah, thanks, The Expanse. Yeah, my motivation. Great. And I've just uh, bought my first used car in my life, so I've had to do a lot of self-education in that, but it's finally <laughs> over and I can finally relax. There you yes, go. Yes, Derek, Derek, but did it come with a bolt? Or a bolt. bolter. Bolt. bolt. Oh, no, you're making fun of my bad. Bolt. Like bolter. Oh, forget it. Never mind. <laughs> the real question is, did it come with a free Stormtrooper helmet? Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> That'd be good. I'm going to assume that is a no on that. No. <laughs> now, well, Joel, you, you bought a, you bought what, a, a Rogue, and it came with like a, a Stormtrooper helmet for Rogue One, right? No, uh, actually, I bought a fully commissioned uh, Stormtrooper uh, Empire Strikes Back uh, uniform or uh, armor from uh, RS Props in England. And I applied for the 501st. Uh, unfortunately, I haven't had time to uh, treat the, the armor because I'm doing my PhD and I've been going nuts. Uh, so I have to fix a few things before they will let me into the club, so to speak. But uh, maybe next week when I get some time off for Christmas I'll, uh, you know, or, or New Year's, I'll be uh, taking another photo shoot and fixing some minor things with the armor. There you go. Can't beat that, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I only I put my application in maybe uh, seven weeks ago, and then I had to drop it because I got really busy in life. So uh, it's a matter of priorities, and yeah, I'll be good. And if not, still I own a stormtrooper uh, uniform, so I'm quite happy. I you know I, I wear it to all the best parties around. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad both of you are doing great. Um, it has been a while since. Um, I've talked to either of you, um, Derek. Thanks for joining us. Even though you're not, you're not an official co-host of the Crash Couch. You are uh, a very special honored guest. I'm the understudy. Guest. You are the <laughs> you are the understudy. The question is, who are you the under? Or who are you the understudy for? Uh, it's Ernie, right? Yeah, probably. <laughs> well, we, we can go with that. <laughs> God. Um, so yeah, this is going to be a little bit of a different season of um, the Crash Couch for us, uh, just due to schedules and and the fact that there's only six episodes of season six. Um, we're going to really record when we can um, and just try to um, just focus on the episodes that have released to that point. 
Um, obviously, we're recording now on December 21st, and the first two episodes have been released, so that's what we're discussing. Um, Christmas is obviously coming up, uh, and as well as the New Year holiday, so um, we'll hopefully be able to record uh, a second episode about the uh, third and fourth episodes of the season, um, barring any unforeseen circumstances, and then um, maybe we'll get to do something uh, for the final two episodes as well. So just to give you a heads up about about where we're at for that. Um, so, yeah, I guess we can go and get into, into this discussion. Um, it's weird seeing The Expanse again. Uh, I, I think I've probably said that uh, every single time that Amazon has released a season because um right you know we're actually back to weekly episodes uh now just for a second season in a row which i'm very happy that they did that especially since uh this one is uh so short compared to the to the other ones um what did you guys think of just well actually you know what before we get into talking about these two episodes in general um i know that we've also had some other big news in the expanse fandom um there's was the announcement of a video game uh, from, I think they are called Telltale Games. Uh, so that's coming up in the future. Uh, we also had the uh, release of Book Nine in the Expanse. I guess you can call it a saga now. Um, the final book in the series. Uh, obviously, this is not a book focused podcast. Uh, I've not read them yet, although I'm, I'm very close to doing that. Uh, and then I know Joel has started Book Nine, but Derek has actually finished Book Nine. Yes. So, Derek, without giving any kind of spoilers or any hints as to what's happening or what's going on, uh, just what are your general thoughts about Book Nine? Did it did it solve all of the all of the lingering questions and wrap up all the loose ends? Uh, yeah, it was an excellent ending to an excellent series. Uh, there are very few long running sci-fi or fantasy series that I think have good endings. Well, hell, even most television shows or movie series of any kind. I think they rarely have a good, dramatically satisfying ending. I can count on probably one hand the ones I truly love, and I think The Expanse is definitely one of them. There wasn't anything I was disappointed about. It answered all the big questions. It was a big story. Uh, yeah, it's it's hard to go into any. It's hard to talk about it at all without giving anything away. But it was an excellent ending. I think the final trilogy of the nine books was the best of the series. So it's a shame that we're not going to see that on television because it really was some amazing stuff. And the story just keeps getting bigger and bigger as it goes along, because if you think about it, the first book, we start out with just this one little crew on a pure and clean cargo ship and one detective on a space station. And and look where we are now in season six mm -hmm. with the fate of Earth and life and all life in the belt and the solar system at stake. So it just keeps getting bigger and bigger and building and building. And the ending is suitably epic and it's very dramatically satisfying. Yeah. And I like the fact that they kept the possibility of future films for these uh, last three books in the series. That's a possibility. So mm -hmm. imagine seeing, you know, book seven, eight, nine on the big screen. That'd be a, you know, most excellent. That would be really crazy if they did that because it would it would require so much foreknowledge of the TV show and I don't know like how how many people have actually seen the TV show even if it's all on Prime I don't know yeah that is fair 
I did see a tweet from the James S.A. Corey account. I believe it is Ty that is running that one. Um, and he had tweeted something about, um, I think somebody was was tweeting at them saying that they really liked Book Nine or it was a good conclusion to the series or something like that. And uh, he made a, a comment about how he was glad he could finish it and or something like that. But uh, the, the main point of the comment was that um, the, you know, they don't, like they, the authors don't own the expanse, like the TV show, like they, they, they don't decide what they are going to do for the last three books. If they're going to do anything. Um, I think he, he had said that like the studio can kind of make that decision themselves. If they feel that they can make a one movie out of it or a set of movies, or even continue this TV show somehow, um, you know, they'll, they'll find a way to do it. And I don't think the authors would, uh, step in and say no to that if you know unless they saw thought that it might be a terrible idea which i don't think that would ever happen but um yeah I'm, I'm, i'll be curious to see not only how they'll wrap up this season um just you know since it's tv uh knowing that there's a, a story beyond that if maybe they will just end it and like maybe cut it off more so than uh, the actual book six does, or if they will, you know, leave it open for interpretation or leave it open for some kind of future adaptation. Yeah, with any luck, future generations will look on the expense like the Lord of the Rings or Star Wars or Star Trek or Battlestar Galactica, and maybe it takes a generation, but I think we'll get there eventually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it might be one of those shows that. Like, obviously, it's popular now. It wouldn't have made it through um, three seasons of being on sci-fi and then got picked up by Amazon and then being as as successful as it is now. It it wouldn't have lasted that long. Um, Even the book series wouldn't have lasted that long if it wasn't, you know, worth reading or worth watching. So, yeah, I I think you're, you're spot on there. Yeah. Oh, uh, we should also point out that there is going to be one final book release in March. It's a series of short stories. They're mostly mm-hmm. ones that have already been published, but there is going to be one original series, uh, one original short story that does take place after book nine. And then they said that that's it. That's the final story they're ever going to write in The Expanse. That's the end of their story. And they say if people want to, like, you know, do fanfic or whatever, have at it. Nice. Yeah, I, I didn't. I think I missed that announcement, but I did see it again, um, probably a couple of days ago that they were talking about it. So what a what a novel idea. <laughs> yeah, it, it is, Joel. It is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I miss podcasting. It's been a while. <laughs> and I'm very I curious to see what these authors are going to do next. I, I know one. I, I think they're doing separate works after this, and I know one of them is doing a like a high fantasy series. So I'm definitely yeah. going to check that out because I really love these books and the way they're written. Yeah, I think Daniel is the one that's doing the the high fantasy series. Um, so we'll see. Yeah, I, it would be nice for them to, you know, uh, take the success that the Expanse has given them as as a writing duo. Obviously, this it, this wasn't like their debut or anything. Um, you know, we know them from from Star Wars uh, before the Expanse. So, yeah, I think that this is definitely not the the end of James S. A. Corey as as an um, as a writing duo or an or an author. Uh, I think it is 
really only just the beginning. If you if you look at the success of the expanse and you know what you know what can come from that, um, I, yeah, I think it's only the beginning for them. I actually think that their Star Wars novel was published in the middle of the Expanse release. I think um, Leviathan Wakes is their first book, but I may be wrong about that. But I'm but I'm pretty sure they said that they they took the only thing that they would take a pause on writing the Expanse books would be to was to do a Star Wars book. Oh, okay. See, I I only we'll see. I got into the Expanse, like I picked up the first book. I think around the time that maybe the second or the third one was coming out so i thought that their that that star wars book i don't remember what the title is off the top of my head but honor among thieves yep yep you're right i thought that was something that came out prior to it but yeah you're oh yeah now that i'm probably right leviathan wakes came out in 2011 and honor among thieves came out in 2014 Oh wow! I didn't know it was that much of a. So they did. They did uh, four Expanse books, and they also did the Star Wars book after that. Jeez, I did not know that. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. So Leviathan Wakes is their first book. Gotcha. Listen, guys. Let's hope it's not the last one. (laughs) Absolutely. I'm not sure. I think the Expanse would be considered a failure if it doesn't get its own hotel, a dedicated theme hotel. <laughs> that uh, costs the 5000 for two nights. Because I want to really go to the bar and drink. I really do. <laughs> I would. I think I would enjoy... I know this is like not even talking about the, the uh, episodes yet, but I would <laughs> probably... like. I'm a big Star Wars fan. Like Everyone that knows me knows that. Um, but I think that I would enjoy an expanse themed park or like cruiser or, or, you know, hotel, whatever you want to call it more than I would anything star Wars. And I can't believe I'm saying that. Am I, am oh, I like wrong in saying, in thinking of that? Well, I think star Wars is, it's oversaturated the market, right? And I love star Wars, but it's all over the place, especially in, in fandom. Whereas the, the expanse, I think it's still fresh. Right, it's still the first mm-hmm. generation of experiencing the expense. So uh, imagine if uh, you know in, in 20 years' time they reboot it and they have another version of the expense. I don't know. I, I think it's just different, and it's good to have differences out there. Choice is good, man. I always associate living in the world of the expanse as just being utterly horrible and miserable and body horror because <laughs> they, they don't they don't show it in the TV show. But in the in the books, when you lay in a crash couch, you're constantly getting a needle put into your veins and sometimes into your spine. And so, like, when they do those high G burns, they're getting needles put into their spinal column to inject like some kind of fluids so that they don't stroke out. And they're constantly having to, like, you know, fix broken stuff. And, yeah, life in the expanse just sounds miserable. Yeah, but it's like your typical Friday night, Derek. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe to some people it is. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I have a very acute needle phobia. So <laughs> all the stuff they talk about in the books is just like a special horror to me. <laughs> Oh, God, that's great. So in, in uh, other words, it doesn't look like um, you're going to be signing up to audition for the role of Doc Ock in Spider-Man anytime soon. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, that's great. Uh, we should mention we're doing spoilers, right, for the episodes? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. totally. Like, if you've not if you've listened this far and you've not watched the first two episodes of season six, um, I think it's 
strange strange dogs in as your dragon you need to just stop because unless you want to be spoiled then you know continue listening yeah so yeah um uh, i'll be honest guys i i've not had a lot of negative things to say about the expanse it, I mean, we can go back and and listen to all of the other uh, episodes we've done and there may be a, f- a few you know mishits here and there but for the most part everything's been pretty positive this first episode i think was probably one of my least favorites of the entire show so far at least when it comes to a premiere um it just was it just it kind of like dragged on it, it it was great with when it comes to focusing on character drama and character relationships but i didn't feel like i felt like there was a lot of setup and not a lot of like payoff for some of that like it just kept going on and on and on and granted we did get some of the payoff in episode two which i was i was happy to see um especially when it comes to somebody like philip i think his uh arc just in these two episodes of alone is is probably to me at least more interesting than what we saw last season in the and last season was really good from him um but just seeing what we've seen so far in these first two um really makes me anxious for um what is to come and it has put this thought into my head of i wonder if this season is being written as sort of a um like a long haul like it's not going to immediately you know pay off every single episode yeah chris i i get where you're coming from but uh i must admit uh i thought the the cgi in this first episode (laughs) was amazing I, I knew also, that's yeah, what you were going to say. But also, actually, this is really neat because it opens. Uh, well, we are we had the the scene on the Konia, which is named after the county, of course, of Sparta in ancient Greece, right? Okay. So, but past that, we get to all these videos of the asteroid impact, right? The news feeds, and the amount of work they, uh, the production team puts in for these news feeds was amazing. These videos, all the details, I thought that was great. And then later. There's a bar scene, of course, because I love bars. That's great. And then right after that, there's going to, well, actually right before that, there is a, a restaurant scene with Marco and his uh, lieutenants. And what I cannot believe was so well done was the, the menu scene, like screen right behind the table in this uh, uh, bolder version of an uh, Asian place. Uh, the screen says, Bakadabash, both are great eats. And just the the details, the attention to details, that that's outstanding. And other things like the just the tattoos, right? So refocusing on the small things, and I think that's why episode one worked because it's the small things and it was character development. If you want combat in space, well, that's going to be episode two, and that's episode two. To in my opinion, was like Tom Clancy movies back in the nineties and eighties. Am, am I that old? Well, yeah, probably. But it's <laughs> fair. Yeah. That's that's my take on episode one. I thought it was uh, the small things really t- turned me on. And, you know, b- between the bar, uh, the small details, uh, uh, Philip being a, a partio, partier, hedonistic, you know, sex fiend. Yeah. What else do you need? I, I would I would agree that episode one was a little bit of a uh, setting placement, but I, I, I'm pretty sure that all of the premiere episodes have been like that. I maybe maybe not season two's premiere, but I, I think in general, when you have the season premiere of a, of a show like this, it's going to be mostly, you know, just like here's where everyone is and here's what they're doing. There's usually not 
some kind of huge development in the premiere. They're usually a little on the slow side, but I didn't mind it. Maybe I just had to like psych myself up and get back in the mood of the expanse um, again, just because I mean, I was I was watching it like pretty much. I think I watched it the night that it premiered and I was I was really excited to watch it, obviously, because, you know, who wouldn't be? Um, but, you know, maybe maybe it was just something that I would have to watch again or maybe it works better if like you're binging the show or you have or maybe if you have episode two immediately right after. Because I thought I really liked episode two. Um, I had to split my split it up into uh, two separate watches. But um, overall, I, I thought that it was a, a fun you know, fun is probably a, a bad word, but it was a fun payoff given what we had in episode one. And I think it really, in my eyes, at least, it strengthened episode one to be, um, like you said, more of that setup that, you know, it's it's really developing those character arcs uh, rather than just like shoving it all in our face along with the action. And therefore it would be, you know, it'd be too much at that point. Um, but yeah, I, I wanted to say something about the visuals as well. I'm watching this in uh, 4K uh, on my Fire Stick, and it is absolutely breathtaking, especially given what we were, you know, what we started off with when it comes to even the, the first part of Amazon, um, Amazon's reign with it. Going all the way back to even season one, though, just to see some of the way that, like you said, Joel, those those small details, those um, like the the text on the screen or, you know, just something that might be in the background or like a blink and a miss it shot. Some of it is just absolutely breathtaking. And it will be a shame when The Expanse does end and we don't have something this good, this good looking uh, on tv anymore for us to look at yeah i have to go back and watch the witcher or something like that completely out of this genre but no 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 uh yeah the other thing about episode one i think the characters were still processing season five because you know they basically lived oh, yeah. through a huge huge genocide right and you see that with uh is visiting the the former field uh harvest field scene right you know, looking at the, the destruction and devastation and how Earth is down, the United Nations is down. They're losing, they're losing badly, and they they're hurt, they're hurting, right? And it's not it, the, the the anger is still there, but now they're processing it. It's a slow burn. Now they're 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 trying to basically survive and keep the morale up because yeah, they're losing the fight. And you can see that in episode one, whereas in episode two, well, I think the tide is turning and we will talk about that in a, in a few minutes, I'm sure. But I don't I, I think it, it's neat because even the, 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 the free Navy forces, say Philip, you know, they're suffering with post-traumatic stress because they've been killing people. And you see that in the, the whole party scene, and you see it with Philip basically being an idiot, an immature idiot with no self-control. Uh, and you see the fact that, hey, war's, you know, war's awful because it affects your logistics. How are you going to feed your people, especially in space? And that's going to, you know, it, it, it plays a role in episode two. And I'm sure it's going to be a major you know, development further on in season six. 
Yeah, one of the minor complaints I have with these two episodes is that I thought in season five, Marco was a really effective villain and the the actor is doing a a brilliant job and he was just an amazingly evil piece of shit in in the last season, the the way he was manipulating his uh, Philippe and um, Naomi. And in these first two episodes, I didn't really get that sense of coolness or evilness from him. It's kind of like he he succeeded in paralyzing Earth and Mars. And what I mean, like, what is he doing with that victory? He's just kind of like, you know, preening around on series station, not really doing anything. It's like what you know, like what was the plan from here on in? So I, I felt like that character was kind of diminished in these two episodes. I'm sure he'll do something cool soon. And, uh, you know, he's just kind of like dealing with his screw up son uh, I don't know. It, it wasn't really working for me. Also, on a very superficial note, I find it hilarious that his teenage son is like a full foot taller than him, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hey, hey, give Marco a break. He's been sexually intimidated, OK, uh, by Lang Walker. OK, just uh, he, he's a victim, really. It is funny that um, the the actor is of shorter stature because, you know, in the books, the belters are supposed to all be like elongated and six or seven feet tall because they grew up in zero gravity. And he he doesn't he doesn't quite have that look, because remember in the very I I think it's like the first scene or so of the of the pilot episode, it shows Avasarla uh, torturing a belter and he's kind of like this CGI elongated guy. They they very quickly got away from that visual aspect in the series because obviously it's not practical to have, you know, a bunch of actors looking like that. Yeah, and I think it's not really pleasant to look at all the time for the majority of people consuming this series, right, which is not the hardcore sci-fi fans, but it's uh, people who come home after a long day working and they want to watch some entertainment on, on Amazon Prime. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder how Marco would be as a stormtrooper. Oh God, he wouldn't take orders. <laughs> he's going, uh, you know, he probably is going to defect. And then he's going to be like a double agent, and well, that'll be a different uh, novel. We should write that. Yeah, I think he would have risen up quickly through the ranks, and his commanding officers would keep getting accidentally fragged in the field, shot from behind until he was the one in charge. Yeah, but yeah. Hey, do you think he's uh, he? Uh, I need to ref- I need to uh, yeah watch my language because I know this is a PG thirteen podcast. Uh, but there's a new uh, lieutenant uh, that Marco has, right? That blonde woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, her character name is Nico Sandron. Do you think they kind of get together, or they they can they got together already in that way, that particular way? I I felt a really strong power dynamic from them. First of all, I really liked her uh i just I mean, right. she didn't have a lot of screen time but i i immediately felt just this this power that she was emanating from you know from the, her performance and i couldn't tell if that was intentional or if it was just you know if it was marco's energy rating radiating from her uh, rating from him onto her and it like you know was just all coming at coming at me at once but I, that's that's the impression that i got um i don't know well, if i'm sorry any kind of yeah I, I may have gotten the character name wrong. I just wrote it down in my notes. Is it Rosenfield uh, Godlang or is it Nico Sanchorena? One of them. Anyway, right, the, the blonde uh, lieutenant, uh, female woman. Yeah, I, I don't know yeah. her name, but I, I know who you're talking about. 
Yeah. Anyway, I thought that was neat because there's sexual tension now, right? In a good way. So maybe Marco is preoccupied. Maybe uh, a sense of his youth, if you want to put it that way, or his uh, proclivities from his youth is coming, is still with him as an adult and as a leader. And he's going to get distracted whereas he's to be, you know, he should be fighting on war. He should be worried about his logistics. This is, you know, this is, you know, how to rage war 101, right? Your logistical supply lines. Instead, he's going to be shagging his uh, his lieutenant. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's just me. Hey, the other thing I want to bring up uh, is... Uh, so, uh, towards the beginning of episode one, right? Okay? On the Rosinante, uh, we have a, a scene where we saw the plaque, right? The Rishner crew, their names on the wall. Did that tear you guys up at all? Uh, did it make you sad or, or nostalgic? No. It made me nostalgic. Uh, sad, definitely not, but nostalgic for because I I thought of me watching the first season or the first two seasons and and doing the show is and just kind of looking back to see how far we've all come, both in real life but also just with these characters um, and this series as a whole. Like we've been through so much, and to see to see that plaque really did kind of like take it back for me um didn't feel any any sort of sadness or remorse or anything along those lines but um i definitely did feel some nostalgia hit me then Hmm. interesting yeah i i I barely noticed alex's absence from the show you know he was he was always just kind of the pilot the the plot never really revolved around him so he he was uh slotted out pretty easily in my mind Hmm. and now we have peaches yeah I will say that I that that is one thing that um, you know probably not a lot of people are going to talk about, and and that's totally fine. Um, you know, we're not going to sit here and, and wax lyrical about that either. But uh, I I think that I'm with you, Derek. I don't feel his absence. I don't feel like there's a hole missing, um, which is is from just strictly looking at the character's perspective is sad because I did like that character. Uh, from the first season up until, uh, you know, the, uh, his ultimate demise. Um, but I, d- I don't feel any kind of hole uh, for that. I think that, um, you know, again, without having read the books and, and seeing what could be happening, had certain real life things not, not gotten in the way of that. Um, I think that, you know, whatever has been written to, make that like to fill that void from the tv show perspective uh works for me at least um and i i would assume that the vast majority of people watching this would would think the same thing and that's not to discredit you know the the people that were writing alex the character um before but because you know that some of the credit does have to go to the the writing team and not just um not just the person that, that was playing him but uh it 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 goes to show what talent you have and what kind of other characters you have on screen to know that you can bring somebody in to fill that hole to to replace someone that may or may not uh should have been there uh or should have been replaced and it feels very natural and organic well said chris And the blonde woman in Rosenfeld, by the way. 
Hey, yes. I was wrong and I corrected myself. Yes, <laughs> Rosenfeld. Yeah, there you go. And I think you know, oh, oh, the other one, the Nico Sandrina, she's the logistical person. I got it, right? So, uh, yeah, so Nico's doing her job, whereas Rosenfeld is playing politics with Marco and uh, some other things, perhaps. Good catch. Now, uh, Chris, as someone who has not read the books and does not know where this is going, I was wondering, what is your opinion? What is the point of the scenes with the little girl on the alien planet? Where is that going? Ooh. All I know is that I'm pretty sure that is a short story or novella, one of those. Um, I might be wrong there, but am I getting – is that right? Yeah, it was the one called Strange Dogs, which was the yeah. name of episode one. Yep. Um I have zero clue what's going mm. on. I don't know what that is. I only know the characters' names because of I watch it with subtitles on Amazon. Um, so and it shows the character names. That's I have so I have no idea what's going on. That that is one thing that has I, I I'm used to it at this point because it's not the first time that we've been thrown random scenes with random characters um, that come from a one of the uh short stories and but it all leads up to something in the end and makes sense you're like oh, okay well that's what that means or that's who that is uh, i know that we'll get conclusions i'm just kind of like watching it and observing it and then be like okay well that was something better remember that and then hoping for the eventual resolution in the end and what do you think about the uh the ship that disappeared in the gate uh, I, I believe it was the final scene of the last season where the ship goes through the gate and just kind of like freezes and dissolves away. Yeah, no idea what is <laughs> what is going on there. That yeah. blew. I remember being blown away. Like my mind was blown whenever that happened. Uh, again, no idea what what is happening. Um, I know that some of the people that have read the books were freaking out at that moment. And I'm like, okay, well, that was neat. It's setting up something. Don't know what it is, but it'll make sense eventually. <laughs> yeah, because when I watched that scene at the end of season five, I, I kind of felt like it did nothing to explain what was happening. And that if I hadn't read the book, I would just be like, well, what was that? What was that supposed to be? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's the beauty, though, of the show is that it, it always like it'll it'll plant this thing in the back of your mind of, OK, there there's this character, there's this thing happening and you need to remember it, but it's not super important right now. And then right when the moment is right, it will pop up again. And then like your your brain will like have a light bulb moment You're like, oh, yeah, that's what that is. Yeah, I, I think the show does that well. And it's kind of like a discovery, right? It's, you know, to me, it's like the, the, the discovery of different you know, inventions or, or, or scientific discoveries where you just don't know. And suddenly mm -hmm. you discover something or you invent something and it changes the the path of human history. You know, in this yeah. case, the product monocle and all that stuff that ties towards it. And that's a the theme of the of the series. One of them, at least. Um. What did well, Derek? Since I'm going to throw throw that question back to you, obviously you have read the books. I'm assuming that you've read all the short stories, so you know I what's not, going actually. on. Actually, I, I have not read the short stories. I've oh. only read the main books. Okay, well, um, so okay, well then, uh, do you know what's happening with with mm -hmm. the with the little girl? Yes, I do. So I won't say anything. 
Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I've read the, uh, the novel that novellas as well up until if there's a new one, I haven't read it, but the old ones, yeah. Yeah, man, we we can't really have this conversation without spoiling things from the books. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's really no way to talk about it. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm I'm yeah. assuming then that we'll get some explanation then. Absolutely. Good. 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 Yeah. Glad I don't have to sit here and worry about that every time I watch an episode. I'm like, well, I guess I should be, still be paying attention to her. <laughs> now, Chris, do you have any uh, theories on how the season and the series is going to end? Um, I think. No, I don't. Um, well, see, that's kind of what going back to what I was saying earlier is that will season six be a like, you know, wrapped up all neatly in a bow or will it leave it up open to interpretation, um, knowing that there is still more story beyond that uh, that could be adapted in some form or fashion later? Um yeah, I, I I have no idea. I it, it really if you told me if like you could go in the future and watch the rest of the episodes and then come back and tell me, you know, okay, it does wrap it up, then I might have a have kind of an idea. Or if it leaves it open, then I I really honestly don't know. Um, I have a hunch of maybe I don't have any reason to back any of this up, and I'm not going to sit like sit here and spoil myself, but uh, I do have some thoughts about maybe where some of our characters will head what will happen to some people um but i i don't you know some some of that is just based on typical like sci-fi tropes and i'm hoping that the expanse is better than that (laughs) so um i'm leaving myself open-minded at least good i'll i'll say nothing to avoid spoilers (laughs) (laughs) hey can we talk about philip being a prisoner and how there's no rule of law in uh, the free navy because his daddy bailed him out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that uh-huh. scene right after they get bailed out or he gets bailed out and um, Marco's like telling him, okay, like me and oh, I can't remember the other guy's name. Who is his friend? Yeah. Yuan. What's it? Uh, Yuan. Yeah. Y-O-A-N. Uh, like they were on the planet, you know, when they were younger growing up and, you know, they got into all sorts of trouble and was pretty much acting just the same as Philip was. But when it came down to it, the next day they were always back to work, you know, doing what they were supposed to be doing and, and saving the, uh, I guess the trouble, the troublemaking for later. Um, and just seeing that, like him radiate that to his son and just, and, point that out like hey like you have to like grow up because i'm not going to be there to bail you out next time that this happens or if if something happens to me and you have to take over no one's going to be there to like you know you have to step in the shoes you have to be ready to do that i i felt like that just was so interesting especially since we follow these characters now especially last season we got to see so much interpersonal dynamics between them and we we've seen a little bit of how Naomi is has influenced both of those characters, both for good and bad. And, you know, I'm just I, I, I am just in, those are the two characters that I care most about right now. Um, Marco and, and Philip is because like that this the this, this season is about them as far as I'm concerned right now, at least that might change. But, um, yeah, that's just I think it's ah. very fascinating to watch it. Make, it makes for good TV. 
See, with me, I actually quite intrigued with uh, Drummer because Drummer is stepping up in so many ways, right? And yet she still has integrity and, and she still has the ability to love people, love uh, her fellow uh, human beings. Right? And you see that with Michio? Michio? Mm-hmm. Hopefully I'm saying the name Michio? wrong. Michio? Michio. Sorry. Ah, drives me nuts. Any which way, you know, uh, like, do we, like, there's a lot of PTSD going on here, right? They're fighting this really nasty war at length over a period of time. And the people fighting this war often are not soldiers per se, but they're forced into their situation. There's the circumstances are such that, you know, one thing led to another thing. And now they're, you know, they're on the computer, on the trigger, you know, making the calls, uh, you know, being shot at all that stuff, the fear and the sense of loss and the grievances like there's no stability whatsoever right now in this universe. And without stability, you have chaos. You have, you know, warlords. We have pirates in the series. That's to me, you know, science fiction and say in this case, the, the expanse, it is really a reflection of ancient history, ancient human history. Because there's some of the common themes about how do you civilize a place? How do you, you know, make peace? How do you not become a slave? These are universal themes in literature, at least in the Western world. And yeah, I really enjoy that. I really enjoy watching it. Uh, now, do you do you guys think that Marco has any actual love for Philippe, or does he just view him as a possession? Because I, I don't I don't think he he really has any true affection for the boy. I don't think I he's think really he's, capable of loving. I think he's a psychopath, right? So uh, yeah, he's uh, you know. He doesn't really care because he can't feel but caring, right? To him, it's a means to an end. I I I think that there is there is a I don't think there is a father son love there. I think it is more of Marco wanting somebody to maybe replace him or like be his heir apparent. Um, I just. You know, I mean, he did bail him out of jail, which, like, I get that, you know. Oh, uh, we should do... say, yeah, we should say by bail, we mean he basically he said, come with me. Yeah. Actually, there's no due process what's to speak up to speak of. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, would he have done that for, you know, another like second in command that would get himself and the, get themselves in the same situation? Maybe. We know we don't know that. Um, I kind of think that maybe he would just because he wants to have that that position of power. But I I don't feel that there is a a strong father son dynamic there. I think you could really put anybody in that that situation. And honestly, Marco probably wishes that it was somebody else that wasn't so, or at least somebody that hasn't been uh, influenced by Naomi at this point. I think he protects Philippe just because since he's his son, he's a reflection on his father. So he has to protect his own reputation by keeping his son out of embarrassment. Yeah. Yeah. And like they have to like twist the truth to. To make Marco and the the name, his family name, look or, and, and may be be maintained at a high point and not be dragged down by. Philip's actions. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think Marcus is empire building. And for that, to have a dynasty, you need to have offspring that will be mm-hmm. competent enough to take over it. And is Philip competent right now? No, he's not. He's a mess, which is not unusual when you're talking about dynasties, right? It's usually the in the wayward son is an idiot, and only certain circumstances will make him, because it's usually a male, into uh, at least a competent leader. It may not be the, the most charismatic or most effective leader, but at least step up the game. Yeah. So now uh, th- this season was it was it uh, saying that Philippe was the one who uh, launched the rocks at Earth, and that's what he's feeling the guilt for that he personally pulled the trigger, or is it just that he's like on the crew? I don't remember the if he is the one that actually launched it or not. I would have to go back and, and see if that's addressed and how. I think that it's more of a – I think he's still being influenced by Naomi. And, you know, I I think that there was a, a time or there was a, a part of that when she was uh, on the, sh- the ship with them last season. I think that there could have been a time or could have – there's probably like a parallel universe where uh, – Naomi ends up like convincing Philip to join her and and overthrow Marco and and make sure that he doesn't you know get to the position of position of power that he's in right now. Um, I think that that is still lingering a little bit uh, in him, and that's causing some of the, and he's you know probably doesn't know what he wants. Like, does he want to like be a, a good person? Does he even want what his dad does? Like, is it just because it's his dad that he's following him? I mean. He's still young, obviously, so that's that's part of it. But I, I think that that's where that guilt is coming from, and it's more of a, uh, a a mental anguish rather than something physical that happened. Or it could be a combination of both. Hmm. I'm just rewatching the video, and I'm heterosexual personally myself, but Markle's like he's looking so sexy on screen right now. Like everything about him <laughs> looks sexy, and it's like. Okay, they're replaying his sex appeal up. Like you can see it. Like he reeks of you know of sexiness. And, and he's definitely I, I, got a smoldering look. Yeah. So and I, it's not as bad in in previous seasons, but in season six, yeah. He, like I'm not sure what the the show is going for, but like uh, my theory right now is that he's going to be distracted because of of sex and a lot of other things. But wow. No, it's, it's a little detail of, of uh, just, you know, body language. Pretty good. He is being more uh, menacing and foreboding this season, at least to me. Like, that's – that. now that you mention it, Joel, like, I, I'm not going to use the word sexy. <laughs> but he, there <laughs> Whatever is that, works, man. Whatever works. <laughs> there is that um, – he is, like – portraying that confidence about him right now like hey like look what i just did like look at me i'm i'm marco naris like i i am like obliterating earth at this point like look at all the damage and chaos i've caused like this is only the beginning and we can even see that at the end of episode two when they realize that um holden and crew took the i think they took what the the data core or the i think it was the data core right out yeah. of that ship yeah um and 
now know about where the rest of the um the rocks are and you know most people like i got the vibe right before the episode ended was like this is the turning point okay like we know that the good guys are going to come back and win or you know they're going to go kill marco or whatever but like he had that you know grin on his face of like oh like you know don't worry about like i have something up my sleeve yeah yeah he's gonna get his rocks off yeah <laughs> but it's uh-huh. not like that yeah <laughs> I, I deserve that one but uh but those three things that happen right which is turning the tide against the free navy and supporting the united nations and their mars allies right one is yes they got the mother load in terms of data drop right in terms of all the sh- where, where their ships are where all the asteroids are so then it can free up the united nations fleets to go at attack the bolters out in the far reaches of the solar system, which is amazing. The other two things is that, one, listen, we have Monica Stewart, right? She's going to write a very major piece of journalism. Not a puff piece, but journalism. To try to have empathy. The fact that the Free Navy, they're killing and hurting and causing suffering among so many people. So that's, you know, that's like point two of Yes, the tide's turning because don't discount good journalism. The third thing, is, of course, is that uh, we have Drummer and uh, this Lang Walker new character. And, uh, well, let's see. They just know that there's supply depots around uh, in terms of uh, the belt and the Free Navy territory, uh, which is having logistical issues, by the way. That's been mentioned several times in episode one and episode two. So what do you do with supply de- depots? Maybe you should go, I don't know, sack them and raid them. So I think these three, you know, forces at play is going to turn the tide of battle. What do you guys think? Yeah, I think the most important thing was uh, stopping the the constant rock attacks that was tying down the fleet to Earth. So now that now they can actually do force projection and send their ships out and go hunting the Free Navy. Because up to now, the Free Navy has just had a free reign of the belt and the ring space and everything. Yeah. Oh, and uh, I was just watching the the part where they captured the Azure Dragon. And uh, that was a very impressive scene where they're, like, showing the two ships chasing after each other. And one makes a move mm-hmm. and the other one has to counter and catch up with it. That was that was a really cool scene. That That's... That just goes to show again how far we've come with the the presentation of scenes like that. I don't think it if we were back in season one, heck, maybe even season two, um, I don't know if we would have had that so intense. Like it's not a dogfight; it's a tiny bit of a dogfight, but not really. Um, that that chase sequence that was so mm-hmm. exciting. Like that is how you do. That is how you do a chase sequence, Ryan Johnson. Are you listening? <laughs> Get over it, Chris, man. Move on with life. Life's too short. Um, yeah, I'm only I'm only half kidding with that. I don't think that that was that big of a deal in Last Jedi. Um, this isn't a Star Wars podcast, though. Thankfully, uh, yeah, that was oh, that was so exciting watching that. And again, seeing it in 4K was just oh, it blew my mind. Um, and you know, put you on the edge edge of your seat, and that is like. I kind of want to see 
what something like that, it, how it's written in the books to see if it's as exciting in the books as it, as it is on screen. Because, you know, imagine you can say, OK, well, let's imagine a, sh- a spaceship chase. Um, and then, you know, you think of something common. I mean, you know, we'll use Star Wars as an example. Let's say you have a, a X-Wing chasing a TIE fighter. Like that's pretty exciting in of itself because it's two small ships chasing each other. But when you add in something as big as the ones we have here, like they're, you know, they're freighters, essentially, you know, they're what. How do you make that feel exciting from a visual perspective, especially something that you're trying to adapt? And this this one in particular was just so exhilarating. And I was I was very pleased um, with not only the way it looked, but just the, the emotions that it made me feel, too. It also has some amazing badass Bobby stuff in it where she just jumps out of the ship to mm-hmm. land onto the other one and is just casually gunning people down. I'm so happy that we got her reunited with uh, the Rossi crew. Yeah. Because I, you know, I liked her as being um, more of an, uh, an accomplice to Avasarala, but, you know, I think that she belongs with the Rossi crew um, from just from a storytelling perspective. And I'm I'm very happy that um, she's back back on that ship. Yeah, yeah. My my two favorite characters in the franchise are Avasarla and Bobby, and for good reason. Yeah. <laughs> hey, can I just take this moment to say, uh, Clarissa, well done being part of the crew now. Good night. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's yeah. I, I like her being on the crew. She's she's a good addition. She is one character that really took me by surprise last season as to how much I enjoyed her, especially, I mean, her and, um, and Amos get, you know, they have a, a good chemistry and, you know, it's just the way it's written, but, uh, the, the two actors have good chemistry as well. Like they just seem to have this nice match on screen, just with, like looking at them, but the, the way that they do their performances also, um, really match up well. And you can really feel like it's, it's not just, you know, two people playing a part. It's, you know, genuine emotion um, and uh, and feelings between them. So, yeah, I'm really glad that she's part of the crew as well. And, you know, she had her own moment by um, jumping off onto the ship. Uh, we'll get to I want to talk about Naomi in a second, um, but she had her moment um, jumping off the ship and then really saving Bobby's life, which I didn't get at first and then it like hit me like after i saw what she did it was like oh okay like it's it's coming back to me now um and to see that was just it was so cool especially in the middle of space <laughs> and not on the ship yeah but yeah about naomi i was we know the toll that last season took on her and honestly probably dominique is an actress as well but to kind of revisit that a little bit, like, you know, she was all kind of gung ho and ready um, to, to, you know, to do the mission. And then she goes to jump and then it's like flashbacks of what happened last season when her jump, jumping out into, into space with, you know, no suit and, and nothing. And then being stranded um, alone on the other ship and then having to jump out again, like that's going to be, you know, traumatic. And you were, we were talking a little bit about PTSD earlier, like, this like imagine put, like put yourself in that kind of situation you've already done two like near death experiences one kind of more so than the other like and then having to kind of do this again it's just crazy 
And she almost lost uh, Holden at the beginning of the, of the episode, right? The first episode, mm-hmm. right? Uh, she almost lost the person she cared for, who she struggled to get back to, right? Okay. You know, her lover for years. Yeah. Uh, and she's freaking out because, of course, she will freak out. Like, who wouldn't? Mm-hmm. It's not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of being human. Yep. Yeah. yeah good observation, man. Mm-hmm. And that is one thing, too, that I think this show also does well is, you know, when we have these these character moments of what we in a normal situation would classify as weakness. In this case, it is somebody who is um, because of something that is going on inside them and inside their brain, the way that they're feeling, they they can't carry on and they're they're prevent they're prevented um, from carrying out their objective but the way that it's portrayed here is yeah it is technically you know moment of weakness but in like we we have to see how the characters are overcoming that and it's only making them stronger like we know that because of things that has happened in previous seasons like that's why the characters are at today and yeah they may still have these 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 moments where they they get like lost in thought or they remember something traumatic and they do they can't overcome an obstacle but we know that um later it'll just they'll they'll overcome that and they'll be a stronger person for it yeah ah man it parallels uh, you know a lot that's happening in our own society right uh, you know, if you're, you know, if a combat vet or just a regular vet or you're in stressful situations, all that stuff, right? Because there's a lot of PTSD in our society. And I think uh, the pandemic hasn't helped much and that has caused more PTSD for a lot of folks. So in a way, this series is really reflecting on what's happening in our society in terms of our own stresses and anxiety, anxieties. So uh, I really like the character development. I know you poo-poo at the very start of the show, uh, Chris, but episode one, I think uh, the connections between characters, it's important. Yeah, uh, listen, I'm a comic guy. I like the fast-paced, you know, bang-bang stuff. Uh, but sometimes, especially the order I get, I, I put more uh, value on the slow moments and just uh, the dialogue and the, the body language between these characters and because that's important, I think. Do you all think that we are seeing more and more that this is being told kind of from the perspective of a long movie or a long miniseries where it's not going to be it's not a traditionally written TV show or really like even a traditionally written show like it kind of was on sci-fi. Like they have the liberty of having these slower moments, these slower, the slower paced episodes where, you know, it's not really a lot going on or a lot of advancement but going back to what we talked to the st- at the start it's the little things that's doing it and the little things that's driving it along that come back to they start piling piling up and then they they um are pulled off in a, in a momentous way with at the end i i would say that all of the previous seasons have had their slow moments i i remember the first few episodes of season five was them just kind of having their own individual lives before the rocks hit and season four they're just kind of wandering around that alien planet for a while and 
Uh, I kind of remember the season one started off a little slow for me to the point where it wasn't really holding my interest, and I kind of struggled to get through to the end of it. But by the end of it, I loved it. So this kind of feels at the same pacing as the rest of the series has been for me. I I think having, you know, two seasons on TV is impressive, but having six and a streaming service, I think, you know, the technology, real technology has changed so much that the market has changed. So we have streaming instead of, you know, network television. And I, I don't know, Chris, I think they've written this series, special last couple of seasons with, uh, you know, with the future in mind by giving it different options. I think it would be quite easy to do another couple of seri- uh, series with this, uh, seasons with this. Uh, it could also be, you know, easy to make a, a you know, made-for-TV movie, which is now made for, you know, a streaming movie or two or three. There's so many uh, media that they can in- incorporate now because I think people are into longer stories. You see that if in the MCU. You see that in Star Wars. It doesn't matter where you, you know, which part of the river you put your stream in. You put into the stream, you are going to uh, find interest in it because the storytelling is compelling. Yeah. Yep, that's that's a good way good way to say it, I think. And really, I mean, it it does. I think that this this if we do get some adaptation of um, the last three books, be it in another show or um in a a movie format or made for tv made for streaming type long long form form thing i think that that this what we've seen so far is that that can that can be done and that can be successful and that can be satisfying to fans because i mean i've i sat at the beginning of the episode and said oh yeah you know strange dogs wasn't the greatest opener wasn't great premiere i was kind of bored not a lot going on but you know by talking about it with you guys and knowing that we've seen episodes uh, uh, episode two after that, again, it just, it makes it better in my eyes. And the fact that you can do that for um, maybe a movie and you don't have to worry about these little, um, pat, you know, 30, 40 minutes uh, sequences where it might not be the most engaging, but with a movie, you don't have to worry about that because that's the whole point of a movie. And maybe that's just yeah. the way that they're playing it. Listen, Chris, I acknowledge my biases. I like long form storytelling because I think arcs are everything. Uh, you know, if they suddenly want to do a TikTok video uh, for like, you know, two minutes uh, in order to tell the next story, I'm sure people will be into that. I'm not. I need character development. I need to know what some motivations are. I need to know what's going on in these characters' heads, right? Because that's how we relate to them, that's how we connect to them. We have shared experiences, or at least we have. Sh- we can put our own perspective in their perspective. So we have yep. empathy, yeah, yeah, understanding, right? Empathy, understanding, that type of stuff. He needs to see them staring off into space for minutes at a time. That's what makes cinema. Oh yeah, I'll, I'll do that. I'll, I'm all about <laughs> staring into space. <laughs> That's me to a T, man. <laughs> okay. Actually, wasn't there a lot of that in the Dune movie? People kind of like giving meaningful looks to the camera and whatnot. Yeah, I think so. But uh, you know, yeah, 
yeah, I, I, uh, I look at storytelling as a way to, uh, you know, to understand life and existence, right? I took a very, take a very philosophical take on storytelling. You know, Derek, I'm kind of glad that you brought up Dune because I think this is mm. a good way to uh, compare the storytelling met- methods of the Expanse and Dune. Personally, I, I've not read Dune the book. I really want to read Dune the book, but I loved that movie. Like I, oh, yeah. I, I, did, I was enthralled the whole time. Um, but I can see that. Let's say you separate Dune the movie out into you know three or four episode show and yeah you're gonna have to cut some things and rearrange some things to kind of keep it moving but i would be able to see where somebody would watch that and be like oh my god this is so boring <laughs> or like what is going on like like let's get something moving here but i think the expanse goes to show that, that it's sort of that same vibe that it's you just have to kind of wait for it like you're not going to get it in the first 30 or 40 45 50 minute episode like you might have to wait for the next two or three for it to really to get going. And um, I guess, you know, that that is the beauty of the show. It's what we've already mentioned. Yeah, it's kind of like you need the the foreplay until you get to the act itself, man. It's <laughs> it's without <laughs> pain. There can be really no does. pleasure. <laughs> yeah, you, you need to. Uh, you need a bond. You need to, uh, you know, process the information and the emotional, you know, information of that. So it's emotional intelligence stuff as well. And then, of course, your analytical side, the brain goes nuts over the, you know, the, the, the connections, right, between the plot, the characters, the setting, the themes, all that good stuff. Yeah. And then you can dive even deeper and look at it from a production value, uh, which is taking you out of the illusion, taking you out of the, the fiction, but it's still neat and still interesting. Cool. Well, I don't have much else to say about about these two episodes. Anything y'all want to end with or any final thoughts? Looking forward I, to see how it ends. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I can't wait till Marco Marcos gets spaced. Probably something worse, but that's just my you know my uh, vindictiveness coming through. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> that's all. And I it's got. been a long time since somebody's been spaced on this show like properly spaced i know it's been like at least a season or something like that god uh more spacing yeah arbitrary ex- executions no i don't believe that but still yeah oh so i have he's... a random question what happened to jared harris's character did anderson dawes is he still alive in the show did he get killed uh, like is is he the one that stole the proto molecule no, I think that there was a dialogue. I think episode, this episode one, maybe last or maybe last season, where he, they just said out of a line that yeah, he's he's dead. Uh, okay. I think, if I recall, I think it's episode one of season six. They mentioned it brief in, in dialogue, but that's a good question because, quite frankly, I love this character. That that's that's the reason I got into the show because his character, Jared Harrison. Oh my, what a great actor. Yeah, he's he's a great actor. I love him. He was great in Moriarty. He was great in Foundation. Yeah, when great. I say Moriarty, I mean he was great as Moriarty in the Sherlock Holmes sequel. Yeah, he was great in Chernobyl. Uh, he's a son of yeah. Richard Harris. Yeah, he is. That. Yeah. Oh, cool. Right. So he has a good pedigree, uh, acting classical actor pedigree in in uh, in Britain and in in Ireland. So. Hmm. 
Yeah, Derek, it does look like uh, he is definitely confirmed as as dead. Mm, okay. Yeah. Let's take our, our, our glasses. Let's raise our glasses to say, <laughs> hey, sorry, Jared Harris, but yeah, yeah, we want to see you in the, um, the expense again. But unfortunately, it's probably not going to happen. So uh, what, what do they yeah. say? Beltawana? <laughs> Beltawana. Yep. <laughs> That's excellent. All right. Well, I guess that will uh, wrap up this episode of The Crash Couch. Like I said, we are trying to record just whenever schedules will allow it. I'm hoping to get uh, Ian and Ernie and Laura on as well uh, for this, you know, for something this season. Um, The plan, just to give a little bit more context for that, is to um, do one episode of The Crash Couch. The Crash Couch. Man, it's been a while since I've done this. Uh, for every two episodes of The Expanse. And hopefully that'll hold. Um, I I would like to do uh, a single episode for the finale, but I just I don't think that um, with, with how schedules will align that that'll happen. Um, we'll see. Uh, maybe we can do something there. Um, I'd also like to, if we can find a way to fit something in, um, get some people together and talk about the last book. Uh, in actual spoilers this time, go into more detail just for the people that um, are interested in that. Uh, and then hopefully we'll do, uh, once the whole show is ended, um, you know, we'll do a wrap-up uh, episode. Uh, we'll actually do a wrap-up episode this time. I know I've said that we were going to do a wrap-up episode for the last two seasons, and it never happened. But we're actually going to do one because it's it'll be the conclusion of the podcast as well. Um, which, wow, that's weird to say. Uh, so yeah, kind of expect that going forward. Um, I'll, I, I can't tweet much, um, nowadays, but uh, I'll try my best to say, Hey, we're recording or, you know, I'll post obviously when a new episode goes live. So, um, just keep on the lookout for that. Um, yeah, but that is, that was this, I guess, premiere episode of, of the crash couch. Uh, if you want to follow us on Twitter, you can do so at crash couch. You can follow me on Twitter at the Curse of Chris. Uh, Joel, what is your Twitter handle nowadays? Is it just yeah, your name? Uh, it's just my name. I'm boring, man. I'm a boring old guy. It's uh, Joel underscore Welch, W-L-C-H. And I also do another podcast called the Sci-Fi Podcast. We've been on hiatus because I'm losing my mind doing my PhD. But we're recording next week for an episode. It's the first time but probably 11 weeks at that point. So it's not dead. I'm just busy, and uh, yeah, that's just life. And so the Sci-Fi Podcast has been around for four years now, so uh, it's going to continue to uh, to live and survive and hopefully thrive once I finish my last paper for the term. <laughs> there you go. Joel, did you ever think that when we were uh, at Star Wars Celebration in 20, what was that, 2017 in, in Florida, when you brought this idea up to me, and I said, oh, yeah, just send it to us and we'll see if, you know, if it makes sense for, for the network at the time. Did yeah. you ever think that four, year, four years later you'd still be doing it? Uh, no, no, no. Uh, but here we are. And I'm happy <laughs> for it. Okay. <laughs> no, podcast is fine. I encourage anyone to get into the podcast, especially fans, right? Find some people you like to have a conversation with. Just record it and put it out there because people will turn into it. And that's how you grow communities. And we all need to live in communities. So that's my take. 
And Derek, I know that you were also on the Sci-Fi Pubcast, and surprisingly, Joel has not fired you from the kitchen yet. <laughs> so, that's because uh, he doesn't pay me. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me at all. Um, where can people find you if they want to chat with you? Uh, I'm at Derek J. Beebe, and I also have DerekBeebe.com, which I've actually started updating again on occasion. Very nice. And what can people find at DerekBeebe.com? Uh, just the occasional blog post. Nice. And links to my books. Yeah, but Derek, All of which are out of print except for one at the moment, but yeah, the but original what... book is getting reprinted soon. But Derek, what's the website? What's the address? DerekBeebe.com. Okay, I'm making sure people know. It's, okay. it's literally DerekBeebe.com. <laughs> Easy enough, right? <laughs> All right, everyone. Well, thank you so much for listening. Um, like I said, we'll have a new episode out at some point in the future. <laughs> um, but until then, we'll see you next time. Take care. Bye now. Bye.